we're not dissing college. Like we don't have a problem with people going to college. I have a very soft spot in my heart for it. It's like this bifurcation where you're either going to college or you're not. And if you're not, well, good luck to you. And some people go into trades and military and other things. It's, it's, it's not that way. And where I think like it should not reside, like the blame should not reside in the foot of that choice. It should reside in just overall society by not looking at the trades as something that has been really the bedrock of what makes America such a great country. And you talk about like the, all the picture, all the black and white photos you see of people that, you know, are making the railroads, making the skyscrapers back in the 30s, like making all these incredible things. And like they were held up to be this paragons of virtue of, you know, hardworking and industrious. And they're really, you know, helping shape the country. And then somewhere around the last 40 years, it's just kind of gone by the wayside. And then there's been this push for more intellectual and, and more information centric uh, learning. And that's fine, but you shouldn't shut off the spigot. Welcome to the Skill Stadium, a podcast for the skilled trades, where you can learn about the opportunities and benefits of working in the skilled trades from business owners, hiring managers, and the hardworking, talented professionals. And now your host, Keith Williams. Welcome to the Skill Stadium podcast, episode 107. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Keith Williams. Every week, we feature professionals in the skilled trades, business owners, educators, skilled trades professionals, influencers, giving real-world advice. I have three requests. If you enjoyed this podcast and it brought you some value, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating. Maybe even get ambitious and write a review. Share one thing you enjoyed or learned about the podcast. Your support means the world to me. And I really would appreciate it. Hey, today we are going to talk about how we are using podcasts and connections with skilled trades professionals to bring awareness and promote the skilled trades, careers in the skilled trades. My guest today is a business owner, a podcaster with a passion for the skilled trades. My guest describes himself as a reformed office worker that picked up a camera, returned to content creator roots. One interesting fact about today's guest is he is a FAA certified drone pilot. Please welcome Derek Cameron, a host of uh, host of podcast, host of Foundry, and owner of Three Eight Zero Five Productions, a Skill Stadium podcast. Derek, how are you doing today? Keith, good to see you, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Great, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you for being a guest, Derek. I got to ask you about your video and audio gear photography because i'm into photography i'm into videography what are you using dslr mirrorless i'm a dslr guy I, I think like everybody that gets into the game is you start off with your base camera and then you try to graduate up to something that you can afford and then uh once you start seeing some income then you start really uh, just pull, d dusting off the credit card and really really doing some heavy investing I'm not quite there yet. I'm shooting on a Canon 90D. It's a DSLR. It's a workhorse camera. It's got it's got the video and it's got the continuous shooting and it's got the high resolution 
images that I'm looking for. And I'm also, as you as you just said, I am an FAA certified drone pilot. So I also fly a Mavic 2 Pro drone. I actually had it up in the air today. I was doing a project for a Coast Guard installation off of uh, the coast of Massachusetts. So I was doing some 3D modeling for them. So those are my two babies right now. And then I'm talking to you on the Blue Yeti mic on my uh, studio setup, and uh, that's that's relatively new, so so far so good, and that's about it. So uh, you know, the Adorama and B and H Photo and all the other vendors are are always open on a tab in my browser to see what's out there, and I am definitely getting spam from them, and they've got my viewing habits down pretty good. So you know, you never know what's going to happen down the road. <laughs> That's definitely, and, and I, you know what I like about B&H Photo is they do not charge taxes. If you now have, their, they have a certain credit card now that you use. If you use that, you don't charge taxes. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Yeah, I wish you didn't tell me that because <laughs> I don't need any more motivation. <laughs> Start, I, don't know, I don't know how much my wife would appreciate that. <laughs> well, look at it this way. You're saving money if you're going to be spending. I know what photography and videography equipment costs, and the taxes on that is a nice piece of change you could save. So... Yeah, definitely. Honey, it's a $2,300 lens, but seriously, there's no tax on it, so it's all good. It's like they're giving it away. Oh, wow. Hey, um, growing up, what did you want to become when you were in high school? You know, I think I had no idea what I wanted to do in high school. I wanted to get to college and then just kind of figure out life, so I did that. When I was in college, I went to UMass Amherst, and they did not have a film program, but I wanted to find something that could provide me the skills that could help me get towards that vocation. So I majored in English and then I minored in film and used both of those things. The English piece of it is I just want to learn how to write better. Wanted to learn how to read more, you know, critical thinking and all that other stuff. And then graduated from college and worked on a couple of independent film sets. And then like everyone else that's struggling to start out, I had to switch gears and it's been a, uh, like a 25 to 30 year, uh, detour. And I finally picked the camera and the, uh, well, and the drone too, back up about three years ago and, uh, returned to my roots. And I tell you, it has been the, uh, the best thing I could have done. I bet. I bet. I am. Um, what made you decide to make that switch after so many years? Like it was just something that was in you. I know that's probably before the pandemic. So a lot of people were triggered to make changes during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a, I think it was a combination of starting a family and I was in, uh, I spent about 13 years in higher education and career services. And part of that was being in employer relations. And I would be on the con I would be on the phone or I'd be talking to founders and entrepreneurs and people that were running small businesses. And I just kept gravitating towards them more and more. I just really liked what they were doing. I started listening to more podcasts about that. And I just found it a much more compelling story. And I just kind of channeled a lot of my work to that. So anyway, after about, you know, 13 years and then starting a family, it was it was made some changes where I was working. It really wasn't a great fit. And with little ones at home, I negotiated a severance out of my job. And, and then it was like, all right, what do I do from there? And then I kind of inadvertently discovered wanted to get back into visual medium for it was the drone at my in-laws house. And it was still in the box. I pulled it out, played with it, and I was hooked. And I'm like, you know, started looking online. I'm like, what else can you do with this? And the next thing I know, I was like, 
it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And then I just, you know, the, the gear started turning and I'm like, there's a lot you can do with this. So I just started pursuing that. And then I, I finally hung a shingle in March of 2020 and just slogged through the pandemic and, and just tried to make whatever opportunities I could through that. And it was, you know, it was painful. It was really painful. But at the same time, I think it forced me to be really creative and really be mindful of how to position myself, how to network even more so, and how to create opportunities out of that. And it's it's taken a couple of years, but you know, finally uh finally finally got to a good place. And then earlier last year, my co-founder of Foundry, Matt uh Consigli, and I uh met about um talking about a different project and we just kept talking over the year and he we just kept finding a lot of overlap and our interest in, in wanting to help entrepreneurs and small businesses. And we're like, we, we really should work together. And then through that conversation, we started realizing that trades businesses really could use that support. And the idea for Foundry just started to take root and really galvanize. And then earlier this year, we joined forces and we started going full uh, full bore into the foundry into the foundry pursuit and then we launched the podcast inside the trades uh, in February as part of that because we wanted to be able to get the word out and uh, you know Matt and I you know you you very eloquently put it in my LinkedIn bio actually just changed the other day is being a reformed office worker because I don't have the bona fides of being you know I'm not a carpenter I you know, I could probably do rudimentary stuff around the house and, and, and I'm okay changing vents and, and the air conditioning ducts and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I'm not what I consider myself a handy guy. I'm not an electrician or any of that stuff. So, but I care and we both care. I mean, Matt is, we both come from corporate backgrounds and we both have a love for wanting to see these small businesses and folks in the trade succeed. And then through that, we realized you know, the, the talent gap piece of that is people are, you know, the whole generational like, oh, nobody wants to work. You know, we can't find it. You know, nobody, nobody cares about working. You know, nobody's really interested in this. We know that's not true. So we just kind of set our sights to pursuing that piece of it. So we took the podcast and then we started sharpening that more towards how do we close the talent gap? Because the the roundabout way and how that actually supports the, the founding mission is if you're a small business owner, if you're an HVAC company or an electrician or a landscaper and, and you're hard up for talent, the best thing that we can do is try to find people that are intelligent, driven, hardworking, and then also make that connection that skilled profession is actually a very lucrative way of making a living and getting them interested in that. And they're trying to make those connections with those people so we can help reinvigorate and, and, and blow some wind back into the workforce. So the people that are coming on as our clients, we can support them and there's going to be available talent. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, but it, we think it's a worthwhile endeavor. And uh, that's, that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to go about it. Yeah. I also think it's so important to the pipeline is critical. So, you know, one of the things a lot of people are not doing is they're not going, getting back into the schools and 
creating programs within their company. So they've got to start investing in training and development. And I've spoken to a few business owners who actually do it now, who are saying, okay, we're going to hire an unskilled, you know, high school graduate, and we're going to put them in our program, in our system, and train and develop them as opposed to we got to go out and look for that established talent. And that's what people are having a hard time finding because in a tight market, you know, people who are good at what they do, you know, you've got to pay a premium for them. You've got to go woo them. Whereas why not just develop the talent within your organization and then they're, you know, fitting into the culture of your, your organization. But I think it all starts with the schools. You know, uh, it starts with the schools and it really push with the parents too. So, Oh, it totally does. And just to dial it back a a few years here, I worked for, so my previous life, I spent eight years at Northeastern University and they are, their their bread and butter is the co-op program. And they have established themselves as just one of the cornerstone institutions for that over a hundred years. And the employers that are bringing the co-ops on, they're building those programs out. Now we're talking about college kids for that. So I totally agree is that you need to have an organization that's thinking about, all right, how do we train up the next generation of talent in our business and what can we do for some sort of pipeline program? And they would certainly do themselves a favor by taking a page out of the types of employers that are hiring co-ops. And I'm not saying this, like it, it's you've got to go the whole college route. It's just more, you've got to be able to provide some sort of educational hands-on opportunities for them to be able to, one, learn the culture of the organization, learn the culture of your business, learn the vernacular, and just get their hands dirty and just start working and make the mistakes. But be in an environment where it's okay to make those mistakes and grow from that, I I totally agree. And one of the things that we discovered this one recently, because we've you know, I mean, you're over 100 podcasts in, so you start to hear some of the similar things after a while. And one of the things that we discovered is, you know, it's it's not, you know, we keep talking about like, and, and I have this disclaimer, I think, like every other show on, our, in, on Inside the Trades is like, we're not dissing college. Like, we don't have a problem with people going to college. I have a very soft spot in my heart for it. It's really like... It's like this bifurcation where you're either going to college or you're not. And if you're not, well, good luck to you. And some people go into trades and military and other things. It's not that way. And where I think like it should not reside, like the blame should not reside in the foot of, of that choice. It should reside just overall society by not looking at the trades as something that has been really the bedrock of what makes America such a great country. And what, you know, and, and you talk about like the, all the picture, all the black and white photos you see of people that, you know, are making the railroads, making the skyscrapers back in the 30s, like making all these incredible things. And like they were held up to be this paragons of virtue of, you know, hardworking and industrious. And they're really, you know, helping shape the country. And then somewhere around the last 40 years, it's just kind of gone by the wayside. And then there's been this push for more intellectual and, and more information centric uh, learning. And that's fine. But you you shouldn't shut off the spigot and say, you know what, these other things don't really matter. And just the kids that really can't cut it in the classroom are going to go there because you've got some incredibly bright people that are running businesses right now. I mean, how many conversations have you had with carpenters or, or other contractors in, in any vocation? And you're like, my God, this person's a genius. A lot, a lot. They're very business savvy. They're, they're sharp. Also, carpenters are really good at math. I mean, there you have to know geometry, calculus, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
And they also, the other thing too, is that they're, they are compensated well. Like if you look at what they're making, I can tell you the trades, here's the thing. It's really about educating people on what a day in the life is like in certain trades and just educating people on what trades are available. I'll give you an example. I was talking to somebody about auto technician, their auto techs and auto techs now, particularly for the newer cars like Mercedes, BMWs, those high end luxury cars are like driving computers. It's like a big iPad. And so a lot of the technicians have to know how to code. <laughs> and they get paid very well for that. I, I heard a story, I was talking to one of the local uh, technical schools here that was being sponsored by uh, Mercedes. And they paid this young man who got out of the program, I, I think it was within a two-year period, it was like $80,000 was his salary starting at Mercedes. And again- There's so, yeah, there's just so much money out there. And how it's crazy how it's just been so under the radar. So um, we went down to actually in your neck of the woods last month, or I should say it was in June in Atlanta for the Skills USA National Leadership Competition. And I'd never been to it. So both Matt and I were completely taken back of how just overwhelming and impressive this was. But as we're walking through, we came across Delta had a big setup. They had like a huge jet engine there. They had like a part of a cockpit and like the cabin of one of their um, airliners. And I was just look, just kind of standing there. And one of the gentlemen from Delta was talking and he was just rattling off information to the person that he was talking with. And it was like, the guy was just a walking computer. He was explaining all the components. Now, it's a jet engine. Like, it's a jet engine. And he's just rattling off all 5,000 parts that are going in that, how it all interplays within the entire airframe, within the... It was just like, this dude... And, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, this guy looks like he's about 15 years old. And <laughs> so... I was like, you know, can I, would you mind, you know, would you, would you mind if I interviewed you for the podcast? So we just did like a field interview right there. So turns out he went to aviation high school in, um, I think it's in the Bronx or I think I can't remember it's Queens. So he went to aviation high school in New York and graduated, went to Penn state and then worked for, I don't know if it was a, um, regional airline, but anyway, he got picked up by Delta and it was 24 years old. He's he was actually working on the engine. So he was doing um, engine maintenance. And yeah, so he got his, and, and I forget what the certification is. It's like airframe and power plant or something like that. Certification for that. And he also added that on to, I think it was a business degree he got from Penn State. And moral of the story is, is that this kid's 24 years old at the time making six figures. And I was just like, wait, what? You're making... And he was just like... And then he goes on. He's like, I've traveled all over the world. And I've like... And, and he was 29 years old. So I'm talking to him like this 29-year-old kid has been making six figures for the last five and a half years. He's traveled all over the world. And now he's an instructor for the other service technicians that are working on these planes. And I'm like, that kid did it right. And... You know, we need to tell his story and we need to just make sure that other people are aware of what these opportunities are. So when you're talking about somebody getting picked up by Mercedes or other, other you know, companies that are manufacturing or, or producing things that you don't normally associate with a skilled profession, they're making some serious money. And like those stories need to just constantly get repeated until people finally start realizing that. You also have to realize this is a... You know what skill sets you have to have to be able to maintain a plane's engine 
you, you, you've got to have so much attention to detail. If you screw that up, there are a lot of lives at hand. You know, there are a lot of lives at stake here. So the amount of attention to detail and skills that you have to have to do that job, and I'm sure they're going to compensate. I don't. They're going to have to compensate you well for that. Not a lot of people. I mean, the margin for error is nil. Their margin for error is nil when you're working on an airplane. So yes, yeah, (laughs) you have to have. You've got to have a lot of things going for you. You've got to. You've got to have the right people in there. You know, so that was just, you know, these are just two examples. The one you referenced in in, uh, Jonelle at uh, Delta. The thing that, you know, I've been thinking about this one is, yeah, we have to talk to people in the classroom. We have to talk to the parents. And we also have to keep people educated about what the compensation on that is. None of that stuff's really a mystery right now. That information is out there. I think what we also need to start doing or continue to doing really in large scale, is starting to draw the the destination for a lot of these skilled professions to where people are at now. And they can look at this as a status career. You know, I, I think about those, like, you know, I, I, I think we're, we're kind of around the same age. So, you know, you're growing up in the 80s, you get those posters of like, you know, the Lamborghini parked outside of the mansion. And, you know, it's like everyone making bank and living high in the hog in the 80s. And you always have that in the back of your head. It's like, oh, status is like, you know, having the sweet car and all this other stuff. And those are people that were like, you know, hedge fund traders or stockbrokers and things like that. And we need to start drawing those associations with people within the skilled professions because those people can still make bank just as Jonelle's been doing. And really just hammering that home and just telling that over and over because, you know, you're one, if if you're coming out of a skilled trade out of high school and maybe you're doing a couple of a couple of years either at a vocational school or an apprentice program or you're doing uh, an associate's or even a, a bachelor's program, you're coming out, your debt load is much lower and your income, your your access to income is that much higher and it's gonna be accelerated even much more because your debt load's so low. And that's gonna capitalize and compound much sooner than somebody that's spending you know, a quarter to half a million dollars on a four-year education that's coming out and doesn't necessarily have all the the hands-on knowledge and is still trying to figure things out and has to go through this whole debt process for 10, 20, 30 years before they actually finally start to see real income. Yes. So, and let's not forget, you take twice the amount of time, like you know, you're going to take four years, maybe five. Most people finish college. Honestly, they're saying the average college student is finishing in like five years because they change majors. You're done in two years for trade school. Yeah, this stat came up a while back and we always reference it is it's like seven years, I think is like the average, like you know, college, like to graduation. But the thing is, is it was like 40% of people graduate from college, 40%. So think of how many people are entering a four-year program and only 40% of them are actually graduating. What's the other 60% doing? Because they're like the ones that haven't had it paid for or haven't taken out a ton of debt. Well, good for them. But I mean, the ones that are taking out a ton of debt to do this, they don't have anything to show for it. And those like, especially if they're on subsidized loans, those things, you know, the, the interest on those things is going to come due like real quick. And 
you don't have anything else to back that up. So, and you can't declare bankruptcy. That debt stays with you forever. <laughs> and, yeah. and again, like I don't want to discollege because I think it's a great path for a lot of people, and I think it can provide you a lot of opportunity in life. But I also think that there needs to be some real critical thought that goes into you know it's the same thing when you're buying a house. It's like all right, we're going to be making one of the largest purchases in our life. We better be like really we got to have our due diligence on this and do some research. And it's the same thing with college. It's like all right, if we're going to make this major financial investment and time investment, then we want to make sure whatever's happening on the other end of that, we're going to be finding a return on that that's going to be commensurate to what we're putting into it. And you know whether it be setting yourself up with a solid network, with a large alumni base, or coming out with commanding a solid salary out of college, or academically, you're setting yourself up for grad school and things like that. But these are things that you have to be very critical. You have to think critically about when you're going into it. And that's another thing about like, yeah, everybody wants to go to college and everybody's going to college, but like how many people are really thinking through that one from soup to nuts about what is happening at the other end of that? And you know, I spent, like I said, 13 years in career services, and I don't think those things are getting utilized nearly enough on college campuses. I mean, I, I have the fortune of working in a couple of really good career centers, but those are not a commonplace thing. And I don't think careers and hands-on learning is something that is really as much of a focus on a lot of campuses as much as the academics. And that's like... What are you going to college for, you know? Yeah. I think it starts in high school. I think if as a parent, if you could start having your kid have self-awareness, just understand what their interests are and also exposing them to internships. I've seen this happen where I've seen young people get internships in high school. So what that does is it starts narrowing down what they want to do. Because I always feel like you got to start with the end in mind. You know, you don't have to figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life, but you've got to have an idea before we make that investment, whether it's trade school or college, especially college because of the costs. What am I trying to do when I'm out? If you have no idea, then we might need to step back and take some time to figure that out before we make that investment for college. Because like you said, this is an investment. It's not cheap. You don't want to experiment at college. You might want to experiment at a junior college. You know, so I just think that you really have to focus on the, you know, you've got to do your due diligence. No, I totally agree. And I think getting your hands dirty as early as you can, whether it be high school or anybody, you know, if anybody wants to do a gap year between high school and whatever their next pursuit's going to be and, and just going out there and seeing the world or working or doing something, that's only going to make your life a better place. Because the thing that we talked to, to students about too, about internships, it's not necessarily, you know, helping shape what it is you want to do. It's also helping shape what it is you do not want to do. And you're in an internship. Internship, you're going to be exposed to things that you think you might be interested in doing, but you might just run into a buzzsaw of just negativity or aspects of that career path that just really don't resonate with you at all. But it's a lot better to find that out after freshman, sophomore year of college when you have a couple more years to make some course corrections than spending four years and a ton of money graduating, finding a job and be like, oh my God, I hate this. Because then what? What are you going to do? So, you know, it's, and it all, it, it, 
always goes back to the hands-on learning too, whether it be, you know, being in a computer lab or actually just doing programming or working in building houses or doing electrical work or doing the plumbing work and actually just getting in there and just feeling it and developing that tactile piece of it and really helping shape your understanding and knowledge. Um, because those are the things that are going to, you know, the other thing is going to help you build that confidence. And I think that's a lot of things that when kids are coming out of school, whether it be high school or college, and they're trying to shape that, those are the things that they can at least fall back to and be like, you know what, I built that and like have something tangible that they can look at and say, oh, I actually wired up that house or I wired up that. You know, I was in like a, we had a Hyperloop team at Northeastern and I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. It's like you get kids that are building a Hyperloop car, uh, Hyperloop. I don't even know what you want to call it. Uh, I guess car for lack of a better term, but I mean, like, that's really cool stuff. And you can at least fall back on that. You know, if your immediate ambition isn't, you know, coming true, well, you still did some wiring and you still did some programming and you built something. Mm -hmm. I also think that what I like with the skilled trades that I always emphasize and I talk to young people about is that you want to have work that you can do and make a living wage when a traditional nine to five job is not available. If you know how to fix cars, I promise you, I promise you there's somebody who's willing to pay you to fix their car. If you can prove that you're competent at doing that, someone will pay you money to fix their car. If you can do plumbing, and again, you got to be able to prove that you can do it. Just, we're not just going to hire somebody if they don't know what they're doing. But if you can prove that you can do that plumbing, somebody's going to hire you to do that. And this is something you can do whether you're... 18 or 68 because again it's a skill set that just doesn't go away and the pandemic proved that those essential workers are always going to be in demand you also you know one of the things too that a lot of that there's a strong point i want to make is that if you're working in a profession that's growing and has a need for people you tend to be treated better why because they don't want to lose you you look at what happened in the tech space when the uh, tech boom was going on in the late 90s and the 2000s, early 2000s. You saw how the perks that some of those tech people were, tech folks were getting. They were, you know, they were giving them everything from cars to you name it. Why? Because not a lot of people had that skill set. I believe we're going to move in that direction with the skill trades. We're already sort of seeing it. I, I've seen ads. If you just go on ZipRecruiter or indeed, you'll see sometimes for plumbing, $5,000 bonus for somebody coming on as a plumber, right? So they're, they're definitely, why? Because there's, there's a need for it. We also have to remember that a lot of the, the workers in the skilled trades are getting older. They're going to retire, you know, or they're going to go into other parts of the skilled trades. Because what some people might tell you is, well, hey, you know, there's a lot of wear and tear on my body. It's tough. Yeah, but now you could transition into being somebody who's now an instructor, who's teaching, who's now managing. So there's so many different career opportunities in the skilled trades. And there are a lot of jobs that people are just not even aware of that don't, that don't require maybe the physical aspect of the work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've got a good I've got a good story for that one, too. We had uh, Joe Williams from Father Judge High School in, out in Philadelphia come on the show uh, a couple months back. And he they, they instituted a welding program about three years ago. So they just graduated the first class and it was gangbusters. It was just like an incredible win for the school. They're actually growing the program. They're actually adding in an automotive. And I think they're adding some more CT. They have got a whole CTE wing that 
that's coming in on the heels of that because they just saw the success of it. But Joe was he he graduated and went into welding um, early on and he was doing it for a while and and he was looking for something that can help him you know stick around for a while because it does you know it's 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 physically taxing and he went it he actually ended up become an instructor at his old high school and then to build their welding program there. And then a few years later, Father Judge came calling and he built their program from the ground up. So, you know, you've got the hands-on learning you've got, you know, you're putting the, the sweat equity into it over the years. And I mean, welders make money, man. They make some serious money and they certainly, you know, and uh, so He's a great story of somebody that, you know, came up through, uh, worked for a number of years and then found his calling as an instructor and he's built out these programs and now he's imparting all that wisdom on the next generation of kids and they're really benefiting from that. And so, you know, it's not like you just have to spend the rest of your life doing this. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do with Foundry too, is we're trying to help business owners achieve success sooner, just helping them better understand how to better position themselves with their marketing, how to better position themselves with offering more or, or building that trust factor with their clients and, and understanding like... What are the biggest challenges? I know with Foundry, you guys are yeah. working on marketing services for companies and skilled trades. What are the challenges that you're seeing with these companies and how are you helping them? What are their biggest challenges? Yeah, I mean, right now it's, you know, it, because everybody's been in such a, it's been in such like a feast mode the last few years because the pandemic, everybody's, you know, wanted to do landscaping and renovations and build outs in their homes and decks and hardscapes because they've been trapped in their houses. And all these people are just out straight. So no one's for want of work, but things are changing, you know, the economy's tightening up. But the thing that everybody's struggling with, and we talked about it earlier, is that the talent gap is, and the available talent is just so limited. And, you know, there are people that do want to work, but do they necessarily want to work for you? And those are the things that we're helping, helping clients and folks out is, all right, you know, how can we better tell your story to position yourself to be a desirable destination for, for people to want to work? And really just wading into that and looking under the hood and helping them tell the story more effectively. So when times do get lean, they can be selective about who they're hiring. And when times are really booming, people are lining up outside the door because they want to work for them because they know they actually care about them. Yeah, I also think I would imagine that employers now who are in their, let's say, 40s and 50s, they didn't grow up with tools like social media. I didn't grow up with social media, you know, so how are they? How great was that, man? Wasn't it great living like in, wasn't it great living in rotary phone days and, and, yeah, and just I basic cable? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to wax poetic. I hate rotary phones, but like there was something, there's something to be said about leaving your house and just not being able to be accessible. It was, it was mad, you know, aside from like my mom being like, Derek, like calling from, uh, <laughs> you know, when it's time to eat. But I mean, it, that was a nice time. So anyway, I jumped on your point there, but I just had to, I just had to take a moment to appreciate the good old days. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's not inherent to us. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think it's a challenge for some people because, like I said, I, you know, I, I grew up in the 80s and I was a young person in the 80s, a teen in the 80s. So I can remember 
that these tools didn't exist. So I, I have a great appreciation for social media, but there are a lot of people, there are people, I shouldn't say a lot, I don't want to stereotype, but there are definitely people in their fo- late 40s and their 50s who just, they haven't embraced social media. So maybe some of these business owners, and again, I'm not trying to stereotype and say they're all like that, but I'm certain there's there's a percentage of people who didn't grow up with that, you know, who might not see that as a valuable tool. So are you able to, are you encountering that? Are you able to work with some of those folks for them to see, hey, here's a way to build your brand and your presence and to connect with your prospects, your prospective employees where they are? Yeah, no, we absolutely are. And, and it's not necessarily people that are, you know, late, you know, early Gen X or boomers that are, aren't necessarily adapted social media. I mean, they're 30s, you know, there's 20 and 30 some year old kids that still don't fully grasp it or, or use it. So it definitely spans uh, the age ranges. Uh, but we do try to help educate on that and break it down in a way where it's not you know, an overwhelming process where you're like, you've got to be on seven platforms. You got to be doing this. You'd be cranking out content. You got to be doing TikToks. You got to be doing reels, stories and all that stuff. I mean, that's like, it's overwhelming. And Matt absolutely hates it. And I tear my hair out and we have to do it for ourselves. You know, we've broken it down into a, a manageable process to be like, okay, we'll, we'll, you know, pump out this amount of content a week. So these are things that we do talk to clients about to find which platform makes the most sense for them. And just help guide them through like what they can do. I mean, you know, real easy ones are like, you know, before and after shots of jobs and also helping them compose the shots. So this kind of goes back to my photography roots here is how do you compose the shot? So you're not getting and I've seen some really sketchy things images too of, you know, tilted, you know, cockeyed, you know, cell phone shots and and bad lighting. And, you know, these things are getting pumped up and posted up on a Facebook page for business. And I'm like, I don't know if that's necessarily the thing that you want to be, you know, highlighting your business. So just helping them, you know, just imparting some of that information. And we do that as well. We provide that service as well, but it's more, all right, how can we help them also, you know, learn how to fish too, uh, so they can take on some of this stuff because they're on site a lot more than we're going to be. So they might be working on a good project and all right, you know, just think about this, you know, you might want to frame up your shot like this and, you know, make sure your light looks like that stuff. That's not, you don't have to be, you know, Peter Lick to, to have to understand all that stuff and just to be able to do with a cell phone. I mean, they're, they're really great pieces of great devices. So they can certainly take some good photos with that. Yeah. Thank God for technology. Also, thank God for platforms like LinkedIn, because I can't tell you, and I'm sure you've benefited from it. I mean, I think we connected through LinkedIn, but. Derek, I'm curious. Where are you finding the majority of your guests in your podcast? The simple answer is all over. <laughs> so we found each. So yeah, we found each other on LinkedIn. So I spent a lot of time on there since it's professional networking, and I've spent a number of years cultivating my network on that. So I just have a lot of folks that I can tap into from there. The other one is Instagram. I've been very active in that. We actually use that a lot for our targeted engagement because it's really easy to build your target audience when you're going through looking at different accounts and searching hashtags for skilled trades or anyone within the blue collar world. So you start finding accounts that align to that and then um, connecting with them on there. And then just listening to other podcasts. I, I listen to a ton of podcasts. So going on ones that align to what we're doing, hearing what they're talking about, and also 
hearing the guests that are on there. So we'll reach out either through people we've had on. We had Ryan England on from Blue Collar Culture. He was a great guest and he introduced us to a couple of folks and listened to Blues the New White with uh, Josh Zolan, trying to get him on. We traded some messages, so we're trying to get him on the show. The She Builds It show, Stephanie Olson, she's great. And actually, that's where we got Tara Garner from Under Construction Photography. Uh, I've been following her on Instagram for a couple of years. I heard her show episode and... I was excited that she was doing podcasts, so I reached out, and she came on our show. So, you know, it's just a lot of just going out there, throwing the net out, and and just leveraging the network. But, I mean, everything I just mentioned is all virtually online and just using networking. And I'll tell you something. The amazing thing about listening to these podcasters is you learn a lot about them, but you learn a lot about the industry, and you also can find some great guests by just the guests that they have on. And you already know enough information about the guests. I have guests that I'm going to interview, and I've heard them on Josh Solon's podcast. And so that helps me to come up with really good questions, and it helps me to understand and know the guests a little bit better before I actually have them on the show. And most of those people are are now warm leads because they've already been on a podcast, so they are comfortable going on a podcast. They're definitely great people to approach. I think I'm sure that that's probably a great tactic I'm sure you're using. Uh, no question about it. I mean, you, it gives you a little bit of research. You can also hear their voice and hear their stories. So it, as you're conceptualizing the episode and trying to figure out how you can get the best pod out of their guest spot and you hear what they've talked about before, it allows you to ask questions and help tease the story out a little bit more or maybe flesh out other parts of it to really make it even more compelling. But it, it's definitely it's it's definitely a great forum to be able to learn who's who's out there and and just hear what they're doing. And it also gives us ideas on how we want to approach uh, what we're doing. Definitely. And I I know I had one guest on, I'm trying to remember his name. Ah, It's escaping me now, but he was on Josh Dolan's podcast and he talked about his grandmother and his face just lit up when he was talking about his grandma. So guess what I asked him about when I had him as a guest on my podcast? His grandmother, you know, because I saw it's something he's pretty passionate about. So uh, that's always a, uh, a that's always such an asset to uh, be able to learn about the guests before you have them on. Well, you know, it's a hallmark of a good host, man, is that you're you're paying attention to what people are saying and and, and you know you're you're empathetic about what people are, what gets them motivated or, or what gets them emotional, and and you're helping tease that out. So that's. That's good on you. I mean, that's some, that's some veteran savvy right there. Yeah. And I don't usually, and here's the little secret I'll share with you, is I don't always tell them that, hey, I, I heard you on a podcast. I just said, hey, I did some research. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to be talking to anybody. <laughs> but hey, listen, Derek, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest on the podcast. I know we had some technical difficulties. And I'm glad that we were able to reconnect. Please share how people can find you and connect with you. Sure. We are. So Foundry is, uh, it's www.foundrywith2ys.com. And our podcast is Inside the Trades with Foundry. My Instagram, uh, you know what, I'll send it to you. You can put it in the show notes. And then uh, Foundry also has an Instagram account. So we're pretty ubiquitous. Um, You know, you can look for Foundry on Facebook. You can look for Inside the Trades on Facebook. 
So we're uh, we're all over the place, um, and especially LinkedIn too. So yeah, please feel free to reach out to us. And uh, if you know anyone that has uh, a good story about their times in the trades and, and how they can close the skills gap, you know, please reach out to us, and and also please reach out to Keith too, because you've got a great show here. And you know, we got to return the favor because we got to have you on our pod too, because this has been a lot of fun, and want to make sure to continue the conversation over on our space. Definitely, definitely. I, I, I've enjoyed it. I mean, I think when I reached out to you, one of the things I said was, this is just going to be a fun episode just listening to you. Yeah, it has been. I, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And and I've really enjoyed your show. So that's been part of my rotation. So walking the dogs and, and cutting the grass. Skill Stadium is uh, part of my listening repertoire now. I appreciate it, Derek. Thank you so much. Derek, I wish you continued success. And folks, please check out Foundry. I'm going to have all of his information and notes. Please follow, subscribe to them. And they are doing some great things. So uh, please support them. All right. Appreciate having me on, Keith. Thanks so much. Thank you, Derek. Thank you for listening to Skill Stadium. It would mean so much if you left a review on iTunes and told your family and friends about the podcast.